about something a little different. This morning we're going to talk about what it looks like to have some margin in our schedules. Like when you think about your life and your schedule and your calendar and like everything you've got going on, how do we have margin in there for the things that really, really matter? And here's why we're talking about that today. It's because uh, for a lot of us, summer is starting to wind down. Um, kids are going back to school soon. You know, fall sports are starting back up. You know, the summer vacations are winding down. They're almost over. And so for a lot of us, life is about to get really, really busy again. Right? Any of you there, like you can just see it coming. You know that life's about to get crazy. Your schedule is about to be packed again. And, and if you think about it, busyness is like such an epidemic in our culture that it's not even viewed as a bad thing. I think in our culture, busyness is almost seen as a virtue now. And, and so think about it. If you go to the grocery store and just imagine you run into somebody you haven't seen in a little while and you're catching up, you're like, oh, hey, how's it going? It, it's likely the conversation is going to go like this. You say, hey, how's it going? They say, oh, I'm good, I'm good. Busy, but good. Right? That, that's what we all say, and we kind of wear busyness as a badge of honor. And so it's so common for us, though, to be so overextended, so close to burnout, to where we don't even have a little margin in our schedules for things that really, really matter. We're always kind of right up on the edge with no margin at all. Uh, back for our honeymoon, Christy and I went to Colorado. We got married in November, and uh, we love the mountains, we love cold weather, which is hilarious that we ended up in the hottest, flattest city in the entire dang country, um, but I'll take that up with God when I get to heaven one day. But uh, like, hey, let's go to Colorado. So we flew into Denver, and then we were staying in Winter Park, like a little kind of ski town up in the mountains, and so we get in, we go to the uh, rental car place to get our car to drive up to the mountains, we show them the reservation, and the night before we landed, they had just had their first big blizzard of the year. So, I mean, there's snow on the ground everywhere. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's like everything we were hoping it would be. But we go to get the rental car. We show them the reservation. And uh, the guy's like, oh, hey, where are you going? We said, we're going, you know, up to Winter Park. And he said, oh, well, your reservation is for a two-wheel drive sedan. I'm like, yeah, like we're newlyweds. We're broke. That's all we could afford. And he's like, well, here's the deal. Like it just snowed. Um, the road's going up the mountain, like they're really narrow, there's a lot of turns, there's going to be, you know, ice on the roads, it's going to be really dangerous. He's like, I would really recommend upgrading to a four-wheel drive. I'm like, listen here, buster, like I know this drill, like you're not upselling me, like you're trying to get that bonus, like nah, man, like, and especially in front of my like wife of 12 hours, no, I'm not, I'm not falling for this stuff. It's like, nah, man, we're good, we're good, I'm going to stick with my little Toyota Corolla. So like we get in the Toyota Corolla and we start making the drive up the mountains and man, like I completely regretted this decision because these roads are so narrow going up the mountain and at a lot of places, like there are not even any guardrails. It's crazy. I don't even know how like they do this, but there's not even any guardrails. So you're going around these turns. You are literally on the side of a cliff with roads that are covered in ice and there's no margin at all. Like you are here, here is the end of the lane and then a cliff. Like you are one step away from complete and utter disaster. Right now, for a lot of us, if we're honest, that's kind of how we feel with our schedule, don't we? Like there's no margin, we're right up on the edge, and it's like, man, just like if one more thing is put on my plate, I'm going to lose my mind, and it will be complete and utter disaster. And so I want us to ask this question today, like how do we find some margin in our schedules? How do we create some space in our schedules for the things that really matter? How do we do this when it comes to kind of time and how we manage our time? 
Now, if you're taking notes, here's kind of the big idea. I'd encourage you to write this down, and then we'll go to Scripture and see where we see this actually in the life of Jesus. So here's the big idea. To create margin in our schedule, we must learn to say no to what matters in order to say yes to what matters most. Okay, to create some margin in our schedule, we have to learn to say no to things that really do matter so that we can have that space, we can have that margin to say yes to other things that matter most. So the whole key to this, it's simple but it's hard, the whole key to having some margin in our life when it comes to our time and our schedule is learning to say no. Now, how how many of you are people pleasers, right? I am too, come on, it's okay, like, you're nice, everybody loves you. Like, for those of us who are people pleasers, it is really hard saying no, isn't it? Like, we feel bad saying no to things or saying no to people. And in fact, sometimes those of us who are followers of Jesus, we can sometimes even spiritualize this, can't we? We can say, oh, I can't say no because that would be mean, or maybe even, if, man, if I say no to this or to that person, that, that's even sinful. So, so we feel like we can never say no. But, but listen, I, I, I want to relieve that fear. We're going to see here in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus himself actually said no to things. He actually said no to people. He said no to doing even good things for people so that he could do better things. So Mark chapter 1, what's happening here is uh, Jesus has just started out his ministry. He's in this town, and this one day he spends basically all day healing people. Like all these sick people are coming to him. He's healing them. Demon-possessed people are coming to him. He's casting out demons. Jesus is spending all day doing all of these miraculous healings for people. And so, of course, word gets out. They're like, hey, there's this guy, Jesus, in town. And like, he did all these great miracles. He healed all these people. He, he cast out all these demons. So that happens. And then the next day, this is what happens. Mark 1, verse 35. It says, before daybreak the next morning, so this is the next day, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon, that's Peter, and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Jesus, Everyone is looking for you, right? How many of you uh, moms can relate to that? Like, it's like either your kids or your husband, they're always looking for you. Like, you can't even go to the bathroom without somebody, like, needing something, right? I know you can relate to that. Say, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. But listen to this. It says, but Jesus replied, we must go on to the other towns as well. And I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So they traveled through the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. So after this entire day that Jesus spends healing people and casting out demons in this town, Peter and the disciples, they come and they say, hey, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. There's this line of sick people. There's this line of demon-possessed people. They're looking for you. They want healing too. There's people that need you. They want your time. They want your attention. And what did Jesus do? Don't miss this. Jesus said, no. He said, no, we can't go back there. He said, we must go to other towns and preach in other towns too. Right, what Jesus is saying is, hey, healing people, that's great. That is a good thing, and I'm going to do more of that. But he's saying the better thing, the reason why I really came is to go and proclaim the good news, to go and preach about how with my arrival, the kingdom of God has now come back to earth. And so Jesus is saying, hey, this, this healing and the line of people who want my attention, that, that, that's all good, but there's something even better proclaiming the good news, and I've got to go 
and be about that. So see, those of us who are, again, like I relate, I kind of tend to be a people pleaser. Those who have a hard time saying no, what we have to realize is that every time we say yes to something, we are automatically saying no to something else. Right? See, notice here how if Jesus would have said yes to going back to this same town and healing more people, if he said yes to that, then by default, he's saying no to going and preaching the good news in these other towns and villages. Like every time you, you feel bad and you feel guilty, and you're like, I just can't say no. Every time you say yes, you are saying no to something else. Right? Like by saying yes to something, maybe you're saying no to your relationship with God. By saying yes, maybe you're saying no to your family. By saying yes, you're saying no to just like your mental health and well-being. And so we, we have to learn like Jesus models here how we can say no to sometimes even things that are good, that matter, that are important. So that we have the margin to say yes to the things that matter most. Now, <clears throat> here's the deal. Um, those of you who are here today who you are not a follower of Jesus, um, regardless of kind of where you're at spiritually, regardless of whether you're like a Christian, atheist, Muslim, Jewish, like wherever you are at on that, if you take kind of this principle and apply it to your life, it will be helpful. It's going to be beneficial for your life, like learning how to be discerning and saying no to things that matter, to say yes to things that matter most. Like regardless of where you're at spiritually, like that will help your life. But, but here's what I want us to spend our time asking today. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, or maybe if you're here and you're interested in becoming a follower of Jesus, well, for us, what are the things that matter most? Right? Because again, if the big idea is we have to say no to things that matter in order to say yes to things that matter most, well, what are those things that matter most that we have to have the margin to always say yes to? And the good news is Jesus actually kind of answers this pretty blatantly. So go over to Matthew 22 real quick. Jesus is out one day. He's teaching, and then this religious leader comes to him in Matthew 22, verse 36. This guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? So this guy comes to Jesus. He's basically saying, hey, Jesus, like, what's the most important commandment in the entire Old Testament? What is it that matters most in our lives? Like, what is the thing that we need to be focusing on most as the people of God? Like, what matters most about how we live our lives as the people of God? That's what this guy asks. And so it says, 37, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answers this guy. He says, the most important commandment. He says, what matters most is that you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. And then in one of the other Gospels, right after this interaction, Jesus would go on and he would tell the story of the Good Samaritan where his, one of his main points is basically, hey, every human being that you encounter, that is your neighbor. Right? So what Jesus says, according to Jesus, what matters most in our life is that we love God and that we love people. Now, real quick, this is so important. There when Jesus says this, notice, he's summarizing the law, he's not summarizing the gospel, okay? And so what that means is Jesus is not saying here that the way we get to heaven, 
The way we can be saved is by loving God and loving people. And if we love God enough, and if we love people enough, then we can earn our way to heaven. That's not at all what Jesus is saying here. Right? The only way we are saved, the only way we make it to heaven is by grace through faith in Jesus. Scripture is absolutely clear on that. So Jesus is not saying that by loving God and loving people, you will be saved. Again, this is a command to the people of God, to those who are already part of the family of God. So what Jesus is saying here is for those of us who have already trusted in him, those of us who are his people, those of us who follow him, the most important thing in our life is that we are loving God and that we are loving people. Now, you may be thinking, okay, that's great. That sounds awesome. But what in the world does this have to do with my calendar? All right, what does this have to do with my nine to five or my schedule, whatever it is? And the reality is, is this has everything to do with our schedules. Because what this means is that we have to learn to say no to whatever we have to say no to in order to have the margin in our lives to grow in our love for God and to grow in our love for people. We have to learn to say no to whatever it takes to be able to say yes to growing in our love for God and growing in our love for people. And so listen, I just, want, I just want you to think, and I want you to take an inventory in your life right now. And just ask God to maybe kind of reveal to you, like, hey, is there anything right now in my life that maybe it's a good thing, but it's a thing I could do without? And this thing is really taking away space. It's taking away all the margin that I would otherwise have to grow in my love for God and to grow in my love for people. And hey, by the way, unless like you've done really well and like you can retire and still provide, like giving up your job, that's not one of the answers, all right? Okay, you gotta, you, you gotta work, you gotta provide, okay? It, you know, Paul says, you know, those who don't work don't eat, right? So don't, don't take this and say, well, I, I you know, don't know how we're gonna, you know, pay our mortgage or pay our rent, but I think I need to quit my job so I can love God and love people. And I, like, you probably most likely need to still do that, okay? So, so don't go there. But, but what are those things that are not completely necessary? Those things that you could drop and you're going to be okay, but they, they suck all this time and margin from your schedule. Like, I, I think for me and for a lot of us, I think one of the clearest, easiest answers is screen time, right? Like, let's just be honest. We're, we're all completely addicted. I've got us hooked. Like, let me give you some numbers. On average, if you add up the cumulative time spent, on average, Americans, we will spend seven years and five months of our lives watching TV. And we're going to spend seven and a half years watching TV. Another one, we're going to spend five years and four months on social media. It's almost five and a half years mindlessly scrolling social media. Now, uh, this next one's really going to depress you. By contrast, you add up all the cumulative time, you will spend only 117 days enjoying intimacy with your spouse. Okay, compare and contrast those real quick. Okay, so we've got Facebook, which was created by a nerd in a dorm room at Harvard, right? You got Facebook, and we're going to give that five and a half years. And then you have intimacy with your spouse, which was created by the God of the universe for us to enjoy. And we're like, I'll choose Facebook. I'll give more time to Facebook. That's crazy, right? See, this just shows that for most of us, the problem is not that we need more time. 
Because if it's like me, if I get more time, I'm probably going to waste it. The problem isn't that we need more time. It's we need to be more discerning with how we use our time. And I think another one, another big kind of just time killer in our culture that just takes up all the margin in our schedule is kids' sports and kids' activities. Like it's just become crazy. And, and listen, I am not anti-kids' sports. In fact, I am very, very, very pro-kids' sports. Um, I, I think it teaches discipline, it teaches hard work, it teaches teamwork, it teaches all sorts of great things that like we all need to learn. And man, if I was king of the world for a day, which you're, you know, I'm sure you're glad I'm not, but if I was, I would mandate that every child in America has to play multiple seasons of team sports. Like that would just be a law and you would have to do it. I, I am very much pro kids playing team sports. But if we look around, like for a lot of us, it has become like not this thing that we use to kind of develop and teach our kids these important life lessons. For a lot of us, it becomes this thing that our entire lives revolve around. Like we get convinced when our kid is four years old that like they're the next Altuve or like they're the next, you know, gymnast who's going to win the gold in the Olympics. And like our entire lives, year round, 24-7, are just geared towards whatever we need to do for our kids to succeed in their sports or their activities. And it eats up all the margin in our lives. And we're left with no time to really stop and say, hey, how can I grow in my love for God? We're left with no time to say, hey, how can I grow in my love for those around me? So, hey, but maybe those aren't it for you. But I think for all of us, there's probably, if we're honest, things in our life that just soak up so much time that take away all that margin that could be sent pursuing God and pursuing love for others. So, so just think and ask God to show you what are those things for you. But because here's the deal. I think there are a couple things that I believe are non-negotiable. A couple things that we must be doing if we are really going to love God well and we are really going to love others well. I think there's a couple things that we have to find time in our schedule to do if we're really going to love God well and if we're really going to love people well. The, the first one, if we're going to love God and people well, then we need to have time in our schedules to spend time with God daily. And man, like, I wish that I could stand up here and say, like, hey, I'm your pastor and I nail this. Like, you know, seven days a week, I'm doing an awesome job at setting time aside, just me and God quietly seeking him, pursuing them, pursuing him. But to be honest, man, I am not that great at this. It is really, really, really hard to do, isn't it? And, and so if that's you and you just struggle with this, hey, I'm with you. It's okay. Let's be better together. Right? But if, if we want to be serious about loving God well and loving others well, we have to spend time with God daily. Go back to that passage in Mark real quick. Here's something that's so interesting. And by the way, Jesus is God, right? Jesus is God in the flesh. And even Jesus, God in the flesh, notice this in verse 35, it says, before daybreak the next morning, so it's like early morning before anyone's up, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and he went to an isolated place to pray. Man, Jesus is in this incredibly busy, nonstop season. Everybody needs them. Everybody's asking for a minute. Everyone's trying to get on his calendar. Everyone wants a meeting. And what does Jesus do? Even Jesus, even being God, he stops and he wakes up early enough to go and spend time in prayer with the Father. 
And so, man, if Jesus even needed that, then, man, how much more do we need that? Right? We're not going to be able to love Jesus well and then love others well if we're not prioritizing spending time with God daily. Because it's as we get to know God on a deeper level that we learn to love him more. And it's as we get to know God on a deeper level and then we love him more that we begin to be transformed to be more like him. And it's as we become more like him that we then love others well. So again, just stop and think and ask, like, hey, what, what does it look like in my life practically? How can I find some margin to make sure that I'm spending time with God daily, that I'm pursuing him daily? Like, what does that look like for you? And, and real quick, um, I, I'll just give you a, a little kind of um, practice that I've read about lately and just started doing very, very recently, but um, I've really enjoyed it some, um, oftentimes, maybe this will feel weird to you, maybe you won't get anything out of this, but, but I'll just share this with you and maybe for some of you it'll be helpful. But I, I read about this practice to spend time with God where you go and you just, you read one story from the Gospels about Jesus. So you go and just read one story about Jesus from the Gospels and then set your Bible down close your eyes, and for 10 or 15 minutes, you just kind of replay the story in your mind. You visualize the story, but you imagine yourself there in the story. Like, you just imagine you're there. Okay, so for instance, if, you know, you just open your Bible, you read the story of Jesus at the wedding in Cana, where they run out of wine. So you read that story, set your Bible down, close your eyes, and then you just kind of imagine that you're there and mentally replay that story. So, so you visualize, like, you know, the wedding coordinator running in and freaking out and realizing that the wine is gone, but the party's not over. And he's having, he's having a cow. He doesn't know what to do. And you visualize Mary coming to Jesus and saying, hey, Jesus, they're out of wine. And you visualize Jesus saying, well, you know, how's that my problem? Why are you, why are you coming and telling me that? And you visualize Jesus going and telling the servant, saying, hey, you see those jugs over there? Why don't y'all go fill those up with water and then let's see what happens next? And you just imagine yourself being there as an observer, as an onlooker. And what you're doing there is you're spending time with Jesus. You're getting to know him better. You're seeing how he treated people and you're growing in your love for him. So again, that's that's a practice that I've just started incorporating recently that I've enjoyed. Maybe that's not for you and that's okay. But again, what does it look like for you? If that's not for you, then like, what are you going to do to be spending time with God daily so that you can know him better, so that you can love him more fully, so that you can become more like him? If we're going to do this, we have to find the margin to spend time with God daily. Here's the second thing we have to do, and man, this one I think is even harder. If we're going to have margin in our lives to love God well and love people there, and let's, man, like you A-type people, you're not going to like this, But if we're going to love God and love people well, it's absolutely non-negotiable that you rest for one day a week. The Bible calls this the Sabbath, right? And God showed us this example where he took six days to create the world, and then on the seventh, he rested. And it wasn't that God needed rest. He's God. He wasn't tired, but he's showing us an example And then later, as he gives the law to his people in the Old Testament, he made it a command. He said, hey, you can go work hard, go work your butt off for six days, but on the seventh day, you better stop working and rest. Like, that's how good our God is. Like, he commands us to rest. How good of a God do we have? He commands us to rest. 
But, and even, he, he took it a step further, and God even says, hey, if you're harvesting a field, he told this to the Israelites in the law. He says, if you have a field, you can plant, and you can harvest that field for six years, but on the seventh year, you let your field rest. Like the Sabbath rest is even woven into creation. And part of it is it's a way where we show that we trust God and we say, okay, God, I can accomplish more in six days with you than I could in seven days without you, working nonstop on the verge of burnout all the time. So listen, if we, if we want to live our lives in a way where we are growing in our love for God and growing in our love for others, like we need to be serious about the Sabbath. And listen, I, I understand, and we're living under the new covenant. So I understand there's like, there's days, there's weeks, there's seasons that make it really tough, right? I, I get that. So I'm not saying if you have one of those weeks and you don't take a day off for a week that like, you know, God is so angry with you and you're in that's not what I'm saying. But what I will say is that like if you go through life with this posture that, hey, the world revolves around me, I've got to go 24-7 because if I'm not working, things aren't going to get done. And if I'm not working, I'm not going to be provided for. If that's your posture, then you're not going to be in an emotionally healthy place over the long term to have the capacity to grow in your love for God and to grow in your love for people. If that's you and you're going and going and going nonstop and you're not stopping to rest, then you're going to be on edge, you're going to be short-tempered, Eventually, you're going to burn out and just completely crash and burn. It's going to happen. But I've heard somebody say before that we are human beings, not human doings. And I think that's important to remember. We are human beings, not human doings. And God wove the Sabbath day of rest into creation because he knows, like, that since he made us, he knows we are not designed to go nonstop. We need to pause from doing, and we need to just be. That's how we were made. That's how God created us. We need to stop and rest. <clears throat> and listen, I know, as, as especially we're talking about, like, how do we have margin? How do we create space in our schedule? I know, I know that it sounds so counterproductive, doesn't it? It sounds so counterintuitive to say, well, if I'm trying to find more time, how do I give up a whole day from producing? How do I give up a whole day from working if I'm trying to find more time? Again, if we don't do this, eventually, give it long enough, it may not be a day, it may not be a week, it may not be a year, but eventually, you're going to burn out, you're going to run out of gas, and I guarantee you, because it's not how you and I were designed, I guarantee you, you're really not going to love God well, and you're really not going to love people well. We need rest. Now here's the deal. We'll close with this. Ultimately, what we need to remember this morning, ultimately, true rest, eternal rest that is ultimately found in Jesus. It's not found in ourselves. It's not found in retirement. Ultimately, our rest is found in Jesus. One of my favorite things that Jesus said is he's out one day and he calls out to the crowd. He says, hey, everyone, everyone who's weary. Any of you weary this morning? I know I can be. He says, hey, everyone who's carrying a lot of burdens. Are you carrying a lot of burdens? Jesus says, hey, everyone who's weary, everyone who's heavy burden, just come to me, learn from me, 
And he says, I will give you rest for your soul. Not just rest for your body. Not just like a nap where like you wake up and you feel better for a few hours and then the next day you're tired again. He says, no, no, I'll give you true inner rest. True inner peace. See, I think so much of our busyness, so much of our hard work, so much of our striving and going nonstop is because deep down inside, we want to feel like we measure up. We want to feel successful. We want people to look at us and say, wow, they really are something. Deep down, right, it's in all of us, deep down, we just want to be accepted. It's one of our deepest felt needs. We want to be accepted. And whether you realize it or not, whether you can verbalize this or not, inside every one of us human beings, deep, deep down, there is this even deeper desire to be accepted by God. And whether you realize it or not, whether you realize it or not, you have this deep, innate desire to be accepted by God. And until you know that you have that for sure, you'll be restless. You'll be tired. You'll be striving to scratch this itch and you don't even know what the itch is and it's never satisfied. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, he he famously said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Now listen to that. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. So maybe you're here today and you feel that deep down. Right? There's just this anxiousness that you can't really verbalize. There's this restlessness deep down in your soul that no matter what you try, no matter what you try to do, you just can't fix it. You can't resolve it. What you need today is to find rest in God. And here, here's why Jesus made that statement. Here's why Jesus was able to say, come to me, everyone who's weary, and I will give you rest. It's because through Jesus, we have peace with God. Right? That that restlessness that we all experience, we find freedom, we find peace from that, we find our rest in God. But the only way to God is through Jesus. Right? Religion can't bring you to God because you and I, we can't be good enough. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. That means that, that trying harder through our religious effort, trying harder through good works, that won't get us back to God. That won't give us that peace of friendship with God. We can't do it ourselves. That's why Jesus came. To live the perfect life we couldn't, to die on the cross for our sin, to rise from death, so that we could have that peace of relationship with God. And so because Jesus did that, because he lived a perfect life and he died for our sin and he rose from death, he's able to look at us and say, hey, that restlessness, that weariness that you feel in your soul, come to me and I will give you eternal rest because I will bring you into relationship with God. So again, man, listen, if you're here today, again, you feel that restlessness in your soul, you you can leave here without that. You can leave that restlessness here this morning. You can answer Jesus' invitation where he says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. You can answer that invitation, and you can come, and you can trust in Jesus. You can surrender your life to him and begin walking with him.
So I'm going to pray. We're going to continue singing. And then, hey, at the end of the service, there will be some people up here at the front. If you're here today, and first of all, if there's anything that you would like for somebody to pray for you about, there will be some people um, right here in front of the stage. They would love to pray for you with whatever's going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. But also, if you're here today and you're like, hey, I want to answer that call. I feel that restlessness. I, 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 I want relief from that. I want to come and trust in Jesus and follow him so that he can give rest to my soul. If you need to do that to the people up here at the front, they would love to talk to you about that. They would love to share with you more about what that looks like to begin walking with Jesus and find that rest. So we're going to pray, we're going to sing, and then they'll be up here. And if that's you and you'd like to respond to that, please feel free to come and speak to them. Let me pray for you.